Well, we're back for another exciting episode of Doable Discipleship. My name is Doug Jones. And I'm Jason Wheeland. And this is a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, but we like to call it the show that helps you grow and love movies. <laughs> yeah. What a abrupt segue into today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking to our buddy, the second newest addition to our team, Chris Tomlinson. Yeah, second newest edition. Second newest edition to our team. We introduced him kind of awkwardly a few weeks ago. You may have heard his hi in the background. He was unseen, but he was he was heard in the background of the episode. Anyway, he's here. He's here today to talk to us about something that's a huge passion of his, and that is film and how film and faith intersect. So we're going to be talking with him uh, right now. <laughs> hey Chris, welcome. <laughs> There's no intro. Music yeah, I forgot. For me. Good no job. Intro music for you. <laughs> How you doing, dude? Not too bad. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you for letting me be on your team. Yeah, That's our cool. pleasure. Uh, start off. Give us a little bit of biographical info on you, just so the audience gets to know you a little bit, and maybe some things that Jason and I haven't even heard. Oh my! Well, I've said everything on the table for you guys, but oh, right. uh, I <laughs> I am Chris Tomlinson, as you know, not the singer. Don't ask me to sing anything while I'm here. Tomlin's son. Yep, uh, son, all that stuff. It usually happens at the bank, nowhere else, where I think that people think of Are you the singer? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I grew up in, I guess, Southern California. I started coming to Saddleback Church when I was a wee lad, probably like eighth grade. Mm, Um, Wee little lad. Yep, and then I started working here in 2000, oh my, I've been here 10 years, so math. 2008. 2008, yes. It's easy math when you're at the 10-year mark. Yes, exactly. I had just graduated film school. I knew I wanted to go for my Master's of Divinity and somehow figure out this intersection of faith and film because Mm. I love not only watching movies but also making movies. I've got a few under my belt. It's been an absolute blast to do. Um, But now I am not only on the maturity team, I also teach film at several uh, universities and colleges in the area, both production and uh, critical studies. Mm. So uh, I love it. I I grew up on all of those classics that you'd think, Ghostbusters, Star Wars, uh, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, name 80s and 90s movie. (laughs) It's It's in the pantheon. Yeah. You bring a unique skill set to our team that I, I know we all really appreciate. We are so excited to bring you on because you bring such skill, such passion, such capability when it comes to filmmaking, but also have this theological training that you bring to the table too. So it's I don't know anybody who has the same combination <laughs> of strengths that you do in this area. And I'm excited Quite to that Quite the niche you. there you go. I, I, I don't know anybody either. I would love <laughs> to meet others. You got a corner on the market. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah... Here, here's where I find that, and we'll get into it in a bit, but it's the, how do you look at these these movies that we consume? I mean, it's huge amounts of money spent at the box office on DVDs on uh, this big, huge media conglomeration. In fact, uh, I won't get into it here, but like video games, just for the first time, just surpassed box office sales. Mm-hmm. And that, like the Oof. implications for our society and how we're evolving as a society and then how does the gospel stay relevant in there mm. it's just there's a lot of questions coming down the pipe and the church uh is hopefully coming up with answers too yeah yeah as we think about discipleship today one of the things that comes to my mind with what you were just saying is that we are immersed in a culture of film all the time mm. 
You know, like we live, at least here in Southern California, we live near the epicenter of film. And this is something that is constantly a shaping force and force in culture around. There are big us, events. Right? There's stuff that you Huge talk events. about during the day. There, you know, they're excited to go to people are excited to go to the midnight showing for their favorite movie that's coming out. And this stuff has real shaping influences on people. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been like six movies or something this year that have grossed over a billion dollars or something crazy. Oof. So Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about this this intersection and how how we can bring our faith into the way we sh- how, how we can share our faith with others using the kind of storytelling techniques that you love to, to speak about, which I think you'll touch on today. Um, and also a little bit about how these films shape us and the kind of things we need to be looking out for as, as followers of Jesus. Yes. So let's just jump in. What do you want to talk about first? Oh, sure. Uh, and I'm going to describe a few ways you can interact with film as a person of faith, as a follower of Christ. And mm-hmm. I got to give it up to uh, the textbook I use for one of my classes is called Real Spirituality, R-E-E-L. Um, Get I, it? Yeah. yeah. We're good at those, huh? Um, <laughs> but uh, Robert K. Johnston goes into, um, uh, what is it? Is it five? Yep. It's five, five different methods of how you would interact with film. And look, I'm going to be real honest on where I stand. I'm on the the very last one he's going to describe, Divine Encounter. I look for God in movies. Mm. All truth is God's truth. Uh, mm. You know what? I hear it say, people say it's Augustine. I, I've knows? heard it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anytime that somebody doesn't know who it is. Oh, oh, it's Augustine. That sounds like Augustine. Augustine. <laughs> that um, sounds like our guy. But yeah, it's the deciphering of where is our shepherd's voice here? And yeah. even it doesn't need to be a Christian director or a Christian writer or a Christian filmmaker making it. It's eternity mm. is on the hearts of all mankind. Like mm. that's that's a very biblical principle. And God's going to somehow break through whatever walls will people will try to stop him from talking with. Hmm. Um, but uh, the very first one uh, is avoidance. So movies coming out, you hear some bad things about it, we avoid. We, hmm. we, are, we are not of the world, so therefore we're going to stay away from that movie. And that's a very legitimate uh, reason, or rather method, uh, because there are some bad things in movies. So if there's something that's going to violate your conscience or make you feel icky or in fact make you struggle with temptation yeah. avoid it great totally yeah um and then uh caution so y- you've heard some bad things um there's some actually very good websites they escape my mind right now that have actually sent somebody into usually the most recent movies and they will tell you the exact uh time code like mm. okay at 1536, uh, look away because there's going to be a bad word or there's going to be nudity or cover your ears because there's going to be bad language. Mm-hmm. Um, so using caution. Go and try- refill your drink at this, <laughs> at this moment. moment. Yeah. Or go to the bathroom, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, dialogue. So... You, Which going back to those, those are oh, help, yeah. uh, people. People use those as tools when it comes to what they're, what kind of films are going to take their kids to. Absolutely. I've used those with my kids before because sure. there are certain words that I would like my kids to learn as late as possible. <laughs> yes. So I'll, I'll, you know, make choices about movies based on those. So it's another legitimate process as Absolutely. well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, here a real example of Marvel's been putting out all of these movies, constant stream of movies that are geared towards. I'm going to say teenagers, but kids are going to want to see them. They're comic book characters. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, here comes. Marvel Studios, a certain R-rated Marvel Studios, Deadpool, is going to be coming out, and a bunch of kids just walked in. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, this is not your Marvel movie, but you, you want to tread lightly. It's, yeah. You need to be having your finger on the pulse of society. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, it says Marvel, but it's not necessarily what Captain America, like our hero who's going to charge in and save the day. And uh, uh, what what would happen in Avengers 2? He said a bad word and everybody... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Language. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that of you would know, okay, I'm not going to take my kids to... Uh, see Deadpool because everybody's talking about it at the water cooler. And you had said that earlier of like, this is a huge portion of our society. People are talking about it. And if you're not up on it, like, look, movies are a perfect neutral territory. When we go to talk about our faith at work, it's going to stop. Like people are going to go, oh, nope. Like this is a a Bible thumper. Like it's going to be real tough to just bring a conversation straight into faith. You have to be a friend first. Yeah. You have to do do pleasantries. Like you can't just jump right in a oh man, uh Jesus really provided for me this week. Like mm-hmm. cool, I, I love you if you talk like that, but it's not going to start a conversation that's going to be successful in bringing someone further in their faith journey. It Ooh. might end it sooner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. precisely. Yeah. But like that neutral territory that we could reclaim the water cooler when you go watch movies, and this is the third one, you can start a dialogue. You can ha- be up on what culture is up on very mm. quickly by watching this two-hour movie that's out in theaters right now. People going and seeing it at midnight. I that is a young man's game. I'm out of the mid- <laughs> I'm out of the midnight premiere now. Uh, I'll go see it. They do it now at like Thursday at eight o'clock. I know that's perfect. for That's me. better. Yeah. yeah, we all got kids now. We can't be out late. late <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe Star Wars. No. No. Yeah. I love Star Wars. Even then, just do the 7 o'clock Thursday showing. Precisely. Yeah, you got it. Precisely. Well, I like what you're talking about with, with the dialogue step or with the dialogue yeah. you know, way of reacting to film. And Pastor Tom talked about that in one of his Q&A episodes. Somebody asked about, um, you know, how do I begin having conversations about faith with people in the workplace? And the question was specifically about how do I start that conversation without getting myself in trouble with, mm. with my bosses and that kind of stuff. And his one of the pieces of advice he gave was just... Start by just talking about life. Talk about the things that matter mm-hmm. to everybody. And film does that. Film talks about themes and issues and bigger concepts that matter to all of us. And those can, like you said, be a really good entry point to a conversation that can eventually lead to a, a redemptive conversation about Ooh, Jesus. Yeah. Ooh, you know? redemptive. I like that word. Can't get that word in once in a while. Well, and, and Jesus did the same thing. Exactly. Uh, people, people would yeah. come up, they'd try to start him on a po- political conversation. Every single time, he'd Aikido move it right into a kingdom of God mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. So any trap they laid for him, he sprung it on the person who was giving the trap. Like, it was beautiful how he did it. But he was also up on storytelling. He constantly used parables. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, for example, I I was just reading Proverbs, and uh, when I look at how Jesus taught of utilizing parable a lot, and even for both non-believing audience, a mass audience, and Mm -hmm. a believing audience, his closest disciples, he would still use stories and parables. Fake stories, like, they, they are stuff that Jesus looked and said, okay, I'm going to take a very real issue, but I'm going to make a fictional story that gives the answer to that real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just realized I'm using my hands a lot. There's no cameras anymore. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Let's see if I can put them in my pockets. Um, but with that, being up on how to tell a good story and also seeing a good story and being able to verbally Aikido the conversation into mm-hmm. a kingdom of God story. That's just how Jesus did it. And it was yeah. beautiful every time he did it. Isn't part and, of that the art of learning to say the, beyond just 
this the creation of a of a, a story arc. It's really about learning to say the right thing at the right time to yeah. achieve the right effect, wouldn't you say? I mean, that's bingo. That's really what we're after here when it comes to evangelism through our story or whatever. And especially with movies and and TV, a lot of times like those can be used as modern day examples, as just saying, "Hey, you all remember such and such thing?" Like I remember Pastor Rick in a in a message many years ago, made reference to 24, and he would talk about Jack Bauer yes. and other stuff. And people knew what he was talking about because everybody knows the name Jack Bauer. Yeah. And so it's just, so it's 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 kind of that example like you were talking about, is making reference to something people would recognize, but then pointing out something about it yes. that you're using as your illustration. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'll get into, there's four types I kind of keep my eyes open mm-hmm. for. Instead of just consuming media, I try to contemplate it. Um, but in one of those four of just this idea of, it's kind of lame, but almost every time a character is going to sacrifice on behalf of somebody else, and it is a death that they're going to do, what's the what's their hand position? We know what their hand position is going to be. They're going to be putting their hands out like Jesus on the cross. Uh, Baymax in, oh, mm. sorry, everybody. It's going to be a ton of spoiler alerts. <gasps> Baymax? I know, I know. And <laughs> like eight-year-old movie? <laughs> yeah. you guys, spoiler alert for everything like within the past. I'll stay away from stuff that came out in the past year. How about that? That's but everything fair. else, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but... <laughs> Like Baymax, uh, he had to sacrifice himself on behalf of Hero, who, if you haven't seen Big Hero 6, beautifully written movie. It's for kids. Uh, it's a, was it Pixar? Or oh, was I it loved Disney? it. It's Disney. Disney, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, at some moment, he's going to have to sacrifice. And like, look, that principle that no greater love is anybody than this, that they'd lay down their life for their friends. That's not just a biblical precept. That is everybody gets yeah. that language. Everybody who's, or people who haven't even read the Bible would go, wow, yeah, that is a huge moment of love yeah. we can look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to identify that and being able to like, like in those moments in between me wiping tears away, mm-hmm. when I'm realizing like, oh my gosh, that is a beautiful image of what Christ has done for me. Of mm-hmm. In that moment, it was him looking at me and going, what does he need? And he mm. fully gives it and lays down his life. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, oh, last two before we get into it. Uh, appropriation. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, Christians are making films. Uh, they're interacting with films. There are Bible studies on TV shows and films. Uh, so that idea of, hey, here are filmmaking techniques. Why don't we utilize them as we're trying to make our biblical points? And I, I kind of delve into that, but it, it, I'm not as overt in how I make films in the sense of, uh, uh, I can't think of any Christian films off the top of my head, but like that, you know, they're Christian films. They usually are, um, <laughs> insert person. War room. Law. Yeah. Okay. God's great. not yeah, there. dead. There we go. Yeah. Fireproof. Insert person struggling with their faith here, and by the end of it, they come back to the faith, or it's somebody who's going to become a Christian by the end of the movie. Like that. Great. As long as you use good storytelling technique, awesome. Go do your thing. Go go make a good story with that character development, and great. great. I'll applaud you. Absolutely. Uh, But then Divine Encounter. The, the, what I'm so big on, what I just said about Baymax, and and, uh, even, uh, Little things like in Man of Steel, when uh, 
Superman flies out of the. Sp- oh, are you talking well, about the church scene? Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about the church scene, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> when he flies out of the the spaceship, what what does he do with his arms? So like, <laughs> it's like, guys, the most obvious thing you can do. I'm almost kind of annoyed by it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, the, the uh, when he's in the church, mm-hmm. he walks in. He's going through something. And he's in pure agony on whether he has to give up his life on behalf of Earth. And he walks into a church. He conveniently sits down in a pew, and the Garden of Gethsemane mosaic is behind him. And the camera, ooh, nice move right into there of like, okay, he's in his Garden of Gethsemane moment. Like, okay, but being on the lookout of they're giving you messages here. The director is not just what the characters are saying. It's what is the camera doing? Mm -hmm. What point in the story is this in relation to somebody who's gone through a similar decision in a mm-hmm. biblical sense or in a uh, uh, one of the biblical people i thought it was a bit overt when he asked peter john and james to come into the church with him and i was yeah. like where did these people come from yes. these weren't even <laughs> but i've never seen anything o- as overt as that but yeah, <laughs> thank, thank god but it's that it's contemplating not con- just consuming mm. um but oh, oh so storytelling techniques that i'm looking for um one of the more obvious ones that is out there and in uh well we saw it in chronicles of narnia in chronicles of narnia this idea of allegory Mm. where okay c.s lewis himself was like this isn't an allegory it's a supposal and (laughs) uh, all right i think when i read on J.R. tolkien who wrote lord of the rings c.s lewis who wrote chronicles of narnia when they were sitting at the table together and J.R. tolkien despises allegory i think c.s lewis just (laughs) had to come up with another word to say well it's not an allegory it's a supposal and he puts it this way suppose Jesus entered the world of Narnia, what would he look like? And that's Aslan, the lion. Mm -hmm. And so in that story, again, spoiler alert, um, Aslan, because one of the children who enter Narnia have to, or or commit a sin, take a Turkish delight from the ice queen, I forget her name, Jadis? Oh, I don't It's so weird to say it out loud, because you read it in the book, and then like, okay. You always wonder, am I pronouncing that right Exactly. Probably not. (laughs) Um, So... Kid takes a Turkish delight, which he was not supposed to. That was one of the rules. He broke it. So therefore, uh, blood is required. Sacrifice is required. But Aslan, the lion, takes that cost on behalf of uh, Peter? Peter. Is it Mm -hmm. Peter? Oh, man. I thought Peter was the oldest. Yeah, I thought Peter's the oldest. Edwin. 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 Not Simon. (laughs) Um, Are you going with the... Alvin and the Chipmunks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> it was Peter, you saying Peter, James, and John got me into that. Uh, but but that, that's very obvious. Aslan, Jesus, uh, Edwin, Mankind, Jadis, uh, Jadis, whatever, um, Satan. That that whole visual is very much an obvious point back to um, uh, biblical, biblical mm-hmm. precepts, biblical concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's strengths and weaknesses in that. Strength being it's obvious, weakness being it's obvious. Like this, oh... You're telling me about Jesus now, aren't you? We but, see what you're doing here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, same thing happened there. That visual of somebody laying down their life on behalf of another person, I remember when Saddleback bought out a theater or something and we all went to go see it. And like I had not, I I became a Christian when I was 18, so I didn't grow up with any of the Christian books or anything like that. So this is the first time I'm seeing this and I'm, weeping in the theater and admittedly even more so than passion of the christ but like that of it it was just brutal guys like it was so brutal um but Mm -hmm. with aslan it was like wow that is a super powerful image i know exactly what you're saying but that was for me that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily for mass consumption that Mm -hmm. makes sense 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember having the same feeling. I found I found Chronicles of Narnia extremely extremely evocative and powerful. And it just it just contains all these really epic images, which when you watch something like The Passion of Christ, you're seeing you're seeing at the very human level like the literal representation of what happened, which is powerful in its own right. Of course, that's what's recorded in the scriptures. That's what actually happened. But seeing it sort of um played out in sort of a mythical and sort of like larger than life picture like Narnia gave it for me was was really a powerful way to envision what Christ did mm. that makes sense yeah. so like to me it just it added a it it gave me a um it kind of blew the story up and helped me see like nuance in it that I hadn't seen just in the simple reading of the scriptures mm. so i i agree with you i think that was a really powerful moment i yeah. and that movie holds up oh yes it does um, I'm very interested to see what they do. Uh, I f- forgot who just bought it, uh, but they're going to... Netflix. Do it. Is it Netflix? I think so. Ooh, really? That's Ooh, interesting. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in, whatever you do. But it, it, it brings up the point of uh, Jesus using fictional story and, and fantasy uh, in the sense of Chronicles of Narnia is a fantasy realm. It's not real. It's somebody's imagining this and letting it be this whole thing. Lord of the Rings does the same thing. This is not in any textbooks. This is me being experiential in the movies I've made. It is easier to get your point across the lesson you're trying to make, which all movies have a lesson. They usually say it in one sentence, Spider-Man, <laughs> uh, what is it? With a great power comes great responsibility. Bingo. <laughs> like the, the, You can usually sum up a lesson and they'll put it in a character's mouth. But when you use fantasy... I think because we're going, ooh, disconnect here, this is not my world, we then are able to relate even more to it. And it's very weird, and it's very tough to put into words, but like, think when Jesus was using fictional stories too, it was so that we kind of, we take politics, we set it aside. We take uh, religious practice, set it aside, and we're just looking at, okay, who's the main character? What's the change they're going through? And what's the lesson going Mm -hmm. here? Instead of bringing all the baggage that we have every day, we're able to kind of disconnect and just listen for a second. So that's what I admire about C.S. Lewis, about Mm -hmm. J.R.R. Tolkien, whenever they wield that powerful sword. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've tried to, of course, not as good as them. Mm -hmm. But that, if we were to put the same story in a real world setting of like, okay, Kid is not in a fantasy realm. He starts seeing lions at his high school or something like that. Like, that's going to be a little rougher because now we're going, wait, that didn't happen when I was in high school. Like that. Our brain <laughs> comes back into it instead of, I'll say it straight up, I don't instead of our heart. the lion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it bypasses a lot of defenses and a lot that, of the baggage. Yeah. It's like what Rick says about music, how a song can mm. penetrate to the heart in the way that, you know, simply... Um, or the way poetry can penetrate the heart, the mm-hmm. way prose cannot. You know, there's a there's something about what you just said where it's so separate from our daily experience that we're able to just look at it with kind of a purity that we can't normally see things with. Absolutely. Purity is the word. I, I dig that a lot. Um, the next one, uh, kind of, this one's a broad stroke, but I also put that appropriation part into this of the overt Christian worldview imagery and symbolism in the sense of somebody's going to mention, oh, what does that one scripture say? Or what does the Bible say? So like the Mm. Bible exists or people are celebrating Christmas. Uh, For example, in Harry Potter, um, 
I forget which movie it is, but it's the last book. But it's numbers seven or eight. It's number eight. Yeah. So they go to Godric's Hollow and. <laughs> Lily and James Potter, Harry's parents, on their gravestone is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Uh, so, like, the Bible exists, but you're not, it's not a main part of the story. Uh, but it, it's obvious. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Um, and I would put that Man of Steel reference also in there. Uh, but they'll, they'll use Christian, big Christian tropes. Even Ghostbusters did this. Uh, hey, Ray, do you believe in God? Never met him. I do. And I love Jesus's style, is what Winston says. And then they even oh, yeah. they quote a fake scripture, but they still say Revelation seven twelve. In fact, it's Revelation part of Revelation eight twelve. But they'll it plays into the story well, so they rewrite a bit of it. So that I'll, I'll put all of that in that category. At least it's a hey, shout out to the people who know that this is an actual biblical reference. So mm. keeping your eyes open for that. The third one, parable, and Jesus used these all the time. Um, even uh, Lord of the Rings, I would classify this as a, a mythology which utilizes several parables. Because if you think about this, um, Frodo's journey where he's taking the ring to Mordor, and once they destroy this ring, well, quote-unquote, sin is going to no longer be there. The The Dark Lord Sauron is no longer has power. But Frodo's not Jesus, like Aslan is Jesus. But... You go look at Gandalf, Gandalf, again, spoiler alert, dies, resurrects. Okay, they're, they're, so they're taking items from the Bible and in order to, I would say, emphasize that a little bit more. And I, I heard a, a, a commentator once say this, and actually I want to say it was G. Campbell Morgan, um, who, when you look at one of Jesus' parables, you should look at one thing. What is the one point of this story? So you're not going to start applying this part of the parable to truth. So if, if he's talking yeah. about uh, heaven and, and he makes a story about it, just look for the truths about heaven. The Don't look at these other facts over here. That's just the story that's being set up here. Uh, Aragorn in Lord of the Rings where he's a cloaked king walking among the populace, but then he has to, uh, like, sound familiar? There's, there's Jesus right there. Like, he's, he's clothed himself, and he's walking among us. Mm -hmm. uh, that, so, but he, Aragorn's not Jesus. He just has a trait of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And even in that story, they, they all kind of separate, but then come together in the end to form one big, gigantic story. That's why I would say mm -hmm. mythology and parable. I want to correct myself. It's the seventh Harry Potter movie. Ah. I've thought it through. <laughs> it's the seventh one. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep. Thank you for being theologically <laughs> correct. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, uh, this is uh, this is my own term. I did Finding something that's better than it, but superstructure. Superstructure. I know, I know. Um, and it's this. It, it, it's, it's not an obvious shout out to biblical stuff such as Baymax dying it, it, it's or or dying on behalf of somebody it's uh imagery that you would call biblical imagery but it's not it, it's usually by a director who's not knowing that they are using that biblical imagery mm -hmm. you, you guys made fun of me because I'd be the only one who saw this but the fact in Ghostbusters where they're driving up to a mountain and here is lightning and a voice from the sky oh it's sinai or something like that mm. eh, it, it, it's that it's and i bet you a million dollars the director had no idea they were doing that it's just it's a hidden thing in the hearts of mankind that it starts coming out it's coming it comes out and 
despite the director, it's going. God is going to g- give imagery from the Bible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this is my conviction. Say what you want about it. Of if we lost the Bible tomorrow, we would be able to write it down. Like at some point, those stories are so ingrained in the human heart they'll they'll come back like if they burned every copy we'll, we will be able to bring it back i guess book of eli style if you will yeah. <laughs> don't want to picture that world no yeah. i don't <laughs> either but i but you're right in saying that there's a i mean i think film is a really good window into the heart of the human race because all the things that are buried really deeply and sometimes that they some of the things that we can't even find voice for explicitly come out implicitly in all the mm-hmm. things that we create and i think film is a perfect example of that so you th- you see biblical themes coming out all the time because as the scriptures say god has planted eternity in the hearts of man so these things yeah. always seep out they come out in all the stories we tell and i think that's an important point that i'm hearing from you too is that like we can be, we can kind of have our eyes open when we're watching film or when we're watching TV shows or when we're listening to music or listening to any of the, any of the things that humans create, we can have an eye to the scriptures and think, what is the truth that's being conveyed in this? Or what is the misconception that's, or the brokenness that's being conveyed in Absolutely. this or that kind of thing? I think you can find a conversation right. in any of these and just, you know, and talk them, talk them through and more often than not, most likely be able to point back to biblical principles, or as we talked about, a biblical worldview, right? and point out, you know, e- either compare and contrast, or talk about how you see the imagery in it, or whatnot. But, yeah. so having that lens of the worldview helps as you are, are watching movies or so, and they may have been made out of a completely different worldview, mm-hmm. but you can still s- look through your lens and see different things in movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're talking about that medium. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a the, how I find or how it's the most successful, I would say, is I kind of look at it through a three act story structure lens and I ask myself three questions. Um, who is the protagonist? Who is the agent of change? Oh, protagonist. Protagonist, the main character. The person who's going through the change is ultimately who that main character is. The internal and external change. Um I'm going to use Star Wars because I love Star Wars. <laughs> but like Luke Skywalker, obviously, is the person who we're going to be following. Um, a good protagonist is not cool. <laughs> like, think about it. Han Solo's way cooler, but Han Solo doesn't go through a change. Luke Skywalker kind of allows us as people watching it to almost put ourselves in his experience. And that, that's what I love about movies and actually that 3X story structure is when we pay attention, we could actually go through the same transformation that character is going through up on the screen in the mm-hmm. sense of Luke finds his way and becomes a, a, a joins a resistance or a rebellion. We're not going by the new, the, the new Star Wars <laughs> language, but joins a rebellion, rescues a princess. That's the external thing. But what does he realize in the end? His agent of change, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the truth he says way back in the very first act of the movie, uh, you must learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like your father. That's the end solution. But then he spends the whole of Act 2 not doing that. Again, joining Rebellion, rescuing a princess. Act 3, he finally needs to realize that as he's about to blow up the Death Star, this big station that's going to blow up a planet and all that other stuff. But what is, what is the end solution? He has to use the Force, Luke. Let go, Luke. Luke, trust me. That inner transformation, he now realizes it, and that's what saves the day. 
If only he could have learned it way back in act one. Like that is so much our story. We usually have to live through something before we actually realize the transforming step. But mm. uh, looking, I look for that of who's the protagonist, goes through the change, who's the agent of change, the one who is usually guiding that protagonist on their journey. And then what is the overarching lesson? Jason already said the Spider-Man lesson, but usually there is a lesson where everything ends up for that protagonist that we can also take away, hmm. or at least for good movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we talk some doables? Okay, I, and I would say this. Uh, in Jason's words, pick a movie, any movie, and uh, find <laughs> out and ask yourself, instead of just consuming it or watching a movie because you're bored, uh, who's the main character? Who's going through the change? And it's going to be difficult for the first few times. Even um, the book I had to read in film school on like how do you write a screenplay, it took me four years to finally realize how to identify that character. Like mm. it was tough and it's all, but it relates to answering the second question in your journey and contemplating this movie, who is the agent of change? So uh, for, uh, for Star Wars, everybody usually goes, oh, it's Darth Vader. And it's no, Darth Vader doesn't even interact with Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. The agent of change is usually somebody who's close Usually somebody who is looked at as a mentor or a, a quote-unquote father figure or mother figure. And that is the person who brings about the change. And it's really tough because, again, the gut instinct is to go, it's got to be the villain. It's got to be the bad guy. And nope, it's the agent of change. The person who mm. is, well, and, and look at even there. Obi-Wan Kenobi dies in the middle of the movie. And by the third act, what do they do? Oh, we got to bring him back into a ghost voice. Like, usually... Whoever has the ghost voice, if they end up dying, that's the agent of Mufasa. change. Mufasa. Yep, exactly. Uh, Splinter in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Absolutely. Well, he doesn't die. He shows up in the fire. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's the, who, who is, whose voice do you have to hear at the mm -hmm. very moment of decision where they're about to become the new person? Mm, how they're good. about to resurrect. And I would even be so bold to say, by the act two, they need to die to themselves, and by Act Three, they rise again, a new person. That—that's mm. what you're looking for. Mm. Uh, and then the third one: uh, what's what's the overarching lesson of this? Like, what what am I? What is the director trying to teach me through these characters, through uh, the whole overarching story? Yeah. So I would say too, like, if you have kids, and you know, just. Be kind of aware of what they are into and watching and stuff like that. And then have conversations. Talk about uh, the movies you guys are watching or TV shows and just talk through, like we talked about earlier, about the worldview stuff. Kind of just talk through, um, you know, those types of themes and principles and ideas and just have those type of conversations. Or maybe it's around the water cooler like we were talking about earlier. Talking, you know... With your coworkers and saying, you know, and just starting those conversations yeah. and then just kind of elect God and, and take the lead and go from there. Yeah. And I, I think what we typically do, I think what we do a lot of times, Chris, I don't think you do this very much, but I think what a lot <laughs> of us do, you know, we go and we <laughs> seek to be entertained by film or by, you know, what we watch on TV and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times we just kind of turn our brains off and they're just kind of like, it's just kind of experience that happens to us. But there's a more proactive maybe not proactive, but there's a more um, focused and interested way 
to engage in that. We can actually kind of turn our brains on when we're watching stuff, and we can actually be thinking about, what does this say about mankind? What can I learn from this? What can I learn not to do from this? How does this compare against um, you know, my, my biblical worldview? And, and just as importantly, how does, it, how does this stack up against reality as I know it? You know, so what's true? What's false in this? And being thoughtful about what we consume. I think that's a yeah. I think that's a big lesson for all of us is that we spend a lot of time um, being spoken to by various media, and film is a big one of them. And we should be thoughtful. And, and I think this is kind of like the Pauline, like taking captive every thought, mm-hmm. like taking the time yes. to process what we're what is entering our mind, what's coming in through the eye gate, and so on. And thinking about what implications does this have for me? How is this changing me? Mm-hmm. Is it changing me in a good way or in a bad way? Um, what are the things that I can learn and apply to my walk with Christ? There's a lot more to be learned on our discipleship journey than just what we learn in the church. And I think as a disciple, we have to learn to see the world through the eyes and with the mind of Christ. And we mm-hmm. can apply that to our entertainment world and everything that we that we look at. And it can kind of make the world a richer place. Mm-hmm. You can you can kind of hear God speaking to you from um, from kind of all over the place, which is interesting, I think, Absolutely. and fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, how about some book recommendations? As somebody who's out there is a film buff and they want to dig in on this a little bit more, what are some good ones that you can think of? Absolutely. One I already mentioned, uh, Real Spirituality by Robert K. Johnston, um, and then also Hollywood Worldviews by Brian Gadawa. Those are very good at the intersection of faith and film. Mm-hmm. And understanding, like, you you kind of touched on this, and I would even say this, tread lightly if you're going to be walking into this world because, it, it, again, it, you're being influenced, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You need to be aware of that, but then also interact with it. Yeah. Good movies allow the audience to interact with it and mm-hmm. or, or interact with the story itself. Even, mm. um, even uh, Prometheus. There were so many questions. Look at how many people took to the forums <laughs> to like go. What oh, yeah, did we crazy. just watch? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. th- that. That is a good movie because it got a conversation going. Mm-hmm. But it, it's because it allowed us to almost become part of the filmmaking process, which is yeah. awesome. J.J. Uh, Abrams does that a lot. Lost. It, well, it left us with more questions <laughs> no. than answers. Uh, uh, but I'm a lost defender. Okay. I, but we can... Anyway. You don't feel like they just ran out of ideas there right <laughs> at No, the end? I don't think so. But <laughs> okay. whatever, we Great. can talk about it off, off, off the now. air. <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I mentioned him. G. Campbell Morgan has a beautiful book called uh, The Parables and Metaphors of Our Lord, and it helps you understand... Uh, not only the context that Jesus is speaking on, because almost all of his stories, you know he knew his audience. Yeah. And he used relative terms. He used, this is a story of a farmer walking out into his field and scattering seed. Everybody would have seen that. Yeah. Um, he, Jesus is a gangster. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> but like, no, he he really is. He's a G. Like he is awesome when it comes to to being able to relate to an audience, but then also t- tell a story on the fly and get his point across beautifully. Mm-hmm. G. Campbell Morgan helps you get a lot of that. Mm. Um, the best way, uh, it's kind of out of print. So oh. finding it on eBay is the only way I've been able to find it or in uh, in our lunchroom. People people have thrown away two copies and I grabbed both of them. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, but, so Chris is starting his own library. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then uh, Dr. John Salehammer wrote Pentateuch as Narrative. Mind you, it was his textbook. Um, he, mm. he actually just recently passed away. Um, but he, 
I, I got to learn under him for Hebrew and Old Testament, and that Pentateuch, his narrative book, and Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, mm-hmm. um, he was just able, he not only found how Jesus was on every page, he would also, in the overarching structure of the entirety of the compilation of that first five books, is able to just point it all to Jesus. And mm. it was such a beautiful hmm. uh, look at the narrative implications of all of it. And mm. I mean, th- that guy knew like 14 ancient Semitic languages, and he could tell you <laughs> the different borders of how Hebrew changed over the years. And, and like, hmm. just awesome. And, and it, mind you, if you're ready for... This is my second time going through it. The first time took me six years because I would re- I would read three <laughs> sentences and I'd have to close it and go. Everything has changed. I need to contemplate it. Like that, no joke. And I started on my honeymoon and I ended it six years later. Wow. Yeah, but it, great book that. And then uh, did I say? Oh yeah, Brian Gadawa. That was the other one. Yeah. Very good book. That one gets into um, looking at how. Y- Interacting with both the Christian worldview and the Hollywood worldview, where do they intersect? Where do they definitely not intersect? And how do you, how do you tread lightly walking into this? Like it's it's an asteroid field. It really is. You could get crushed, or you can navigate it because the odds are against you, and you got C three PO behind you. Star Wars reference. There you go. <laughs> uh, but like it, and you make it through, and it's a beautiful journey on the other end. So mm. I, I recommend those That's definitely, cool, dude. This has been fun. Any yeah, other questions from fun. you, Jason? Uh, no, I'm just I'm just curious if the audience enjoyed the first episode of Doable that referenced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. <laughs> That's true. You broke yes. the ice on. Me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hey, hey, I I want to say they still hold this top grossing independent film of all time, the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Really? Kidding? Yeah. None of the big five. Well, I think it was big six studios at the time helped make it. Hmm. They were entirely independent. Man, I love those. There you go. Yes, so I love good. those growing up. Yeah. I remember seeing all of them in the theater with friends and stuff. Kawabunga, oh, so dude. <laughs> <laughs> Back when they said that. They don't yeah. say that. Anymore. Unfortunately no. not. Yeah. Super lame. All right. Well, let's end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, thanks for listening. We will see you next week.